So really grateful to Beryl for agreeing to come along. And um, it's always a bit of a, isn't it? It is. It is a bit of a, even if you think that's no problem. And I said it's really not a problem. It should be just an informal conversation right. about past and present. Um, so we always start right at the beginning. Right? Where were you born? Lancashire. <laughs> okay. Um, a little village uh, halfway between Liverpool and Preston called Bursco, where my mum and dad have lived all their lives and still live. My dad's 90, 94 in January, and my mum is 88, and I'm a spoilt only child, so you can imagine the fun and games that causes sometimes. So, very much Lancashire, told yeah. by the voice. Um, how do you think being an only child has shaped things for you? Um, I can't imagine uh, how it must feel to have a brother or sister. Um, and I haven't got any children. I've got a stepdaughter, more of that later, no doubt. Um, it made me feel very close to my mum and dad, because um, they were quite young. So we always went and did stuff together. Like, you know, my, my strongest memories are of being with my mum and dad on holiday or things like that. All my family um, live up north. So um, coming to Norfolk was a bit of a stretch, really. So before we come to Norfolk, what was it like growing up in Lancashire? What do you remember about that? Perhaps compared to, you know, coming away um, from there. Everybody was very friendly. This is all going to be for inference now. You're all going to be going, oh, so they're not friendly in Norfolk then. <laughs> I'm not doing a, com a comparison at all. Everybody was very friendly. Um, everybody knew the family, because uh, my mum and dad, my grandparents. Um, my dad was one of ten children, so aunties and uncles were coming out of the woodwork. So you couldn't do anything without it getting back to my mum and dad. <laughs> um, I used to say, you can sneeze in Berska village, and by the time I've got home, they're asking me how my cold is, you know, that kind of thing. So I was ever so well behaved. Um, and uh, going, don't laugh, but going to chapel was quite important. Um, this is Methodist, Methodist chapel. Yeah. I went, my mum took me when I was like, three and a half, I think. Um, and I carried on going there and became a Sunday school teacher. So it was a very um, sheltered upbringing, although mum and dad didn't mean to shelter me. You could go out and play outside, like I dare say most of you could, wherever you were born. Nobody said, you know, you can't go out there, there's paedophiles or something. There were a few dodgy people, but they were just dodgy people. Um, so it was quite a carefree childhood. And... Um, one of the most important bits of it was, was reading, which I did a lot of. And I think being an only child helped that one along on its way. OK, well, we'll come back to that. I think probably with dodgy people, you also knew to avoid them, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, you everybody just, knew, yeah. you know, do you know how everybody knew really everybody odd. else. I've heard it said that, uh, that Northerners are people who are very friendly, but it's difficult to get to know them better. Whereas Norfolk people are difficult to get to know, but when you do, they're very friendly. Is that...? Um, eventually, yes. Yeah. Eventually, yes. Yeah. So what did your mum and dad do? Um, my dad was a joiner. He left school when he was 14. And um, the man who lived up the road from where he lived said, um, we need a good lad to be an apprentice joiner. So nobody asked my dad whether that's what he wanted to do. So that's what he did. So he started woodworking, building coffins, because the chap was an, the funeral director. So my dad learned his trade, building coffins. And because we were right by the Leeds-Liverpool Canal, um, he learned his trade also building barges, because the travel from the Leeds-Liverpool was still going strong then with coal and stuff going backwards and forwards. Mm. So my dad was a joiner. Uh, my mum wanted to be a PE teacher, which is why it's such a hoot now that I do running, because I was like the laziest lump in the world, um, and such a disappointment. Um, but her dad died when she was 15, so she had to leave school, and she became um, a clerk. So she worked for a solicitor's company, and then her last job 
was um, being the secretary and clerk in the pharmacy department in our local hospital. Mm. So nobody asked my mum what she wanted to do either. Mm. She just Absolutely. had to do what she did. Well, it wasn't the time when you asked children, did you? Mm. You didn't. Parents knew better, didn't they? Oh, and I think I've said before, my mum said she'd been given three options. She could stay at home and help her mum, she could go out to work or she could get married. Yeah. But she wasn't having an education because it wasn't worth it. That's, right. um, that's what her father said. Yeah. So, so I was always, and still am, truly grateful that I was given a choice of what to do. Yeah. And I knew what that was. Yeah. So where did you go to school? I went to school at Bursco Methodist Primary School. Okay. Um, and and then, was Methodism particularly strong at the school and in the region? or? Uh, yeah, because the, the school was right next to the chapel. Right. So I, I have no recollection of it being overtly religious. Um, it just was what it was, and that's what, you know, we did. Um, and then I passed my 11 plus and I went to Omscott Grammar School, which was the school that my mum had been to. Mm. And then I went to Chester College. And that's the, the next bit. The <laughs> other thing for our parents' generation, which is, has changed now, is that you, in those days you had one bite at education, didn't you? And that was it. I mean, yes. you might get a little bit of retraining, or you might be lucky enough to do evening classes, but there wasn't really any hope of changing direction in the same way, was there? You were. No, I think looking back, I mean I was always quite clear what I wanted to do, but uh, some of my friends in the sixth form didn't want to go to university or college. <gasps> you know, the, the staff at the school were horrified that they might want to go and get a job and not go on to further training. So the notion of a gap year, which is also, you know, everybody has a gap year now, I think I'm having mine now. Um, but. Having a gap year when you leave school before you do anything else, that wasn't considered any option at all. You just, if you were on that path, you know, that's where you went. Sure, sure. What were your parents' aspirations for you at an early stage? Did they have any? Um, Did they think they wanted you to have the education maybe they hadn't had? or? I don't think it was ever put out like that. They always wanted me, obviously, to do my best. Um, I had a bet on with my dad that I'd be a head teacher one day, and he said, and I quote, there'll be one armed bandits in the Vatican before that. <laughs> <laughs> my dad belonged to the generation where you never said anything nice. I mean, he right. praised me up to the skies when I wasn't listening. But there was, it, to me, you know, it'd always be like, you know, I was, was not spoiled. Very a northern thing, though, wasn't very it? Northern. I mean, Polly's dad was asked whether he was pleased that Polly and I were engaged, and he said, "He'll do." Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's so. downplaying. It's 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 all downplaying. There's none of this. My children are wonderful, like like there is now. Nothing like that at all. So, what was school like at that time? What do you remember of its being its features? Some of the teachers were horrible. My French teacher was horrible. She didn't like me at all. And she told my mum and dad that on parents' evening. When you say horrible, you mean vindictive and mean yeah. and nasty? Or all that, yeah. Not like um, we were talking, I think the previous session, you know, there was um, a, a teacher who was constantly throwing board rubbers at Oh, people. no, that was the generation before that. Okay. He threw chalk by the time I got Okay. He, he got it out. Just as hard, just but smaller. Yeah, smaller. <laughs> Um, my French teacher wasn't very nice. Uh, my English teachers were absolutely wonderful. Um, um, just wonderful. And I, I didn't... The, 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 there were bits of school that I loved, and, but a lot of time, looking back, I don't think I was all that happy. Okay. But I didn't, I didn't think about it then. Because you just got on with whatever it was. Because you just got on with it. I was, rubbish at, I was rubbish at maths. Okay. I still am. Um, but one of the English teachers got me, well, I volunteered to help in the library, which <laughs> is why I can duly classify, much to my current employer's delight. Um, and so I used to spend a lot of time in the library. 
Was anybody particularly inspirational at that stage? I mean, you said you had good English teachers and whatever, yeah, but sometimes English it's teachers. more than just the teaching, isn't it? It's a, um, a, a model that you feel you want to emulate. Or... Well, the most inspirational person taught me when I was six, and that was Miss Turner in my infant school, and I just wanted to be her. And what was it about her? She was just lovely. Okay. She was a proper teacher. Was it, I mean, we remember from our daughter coming home from school and suddenly you weren't the authority. Their te the teacher was the authority, oh. Miss So-and-so says, and no, therefore no, no. that must be law, was it? No, it wasn't really like that. I suppose I got, I got back at the other end, didn't I? Right. When it was what Miss Gaskell said. <laughs> um, no, no, it wasn't like that. It was just, she was just really nice and kind and she, I learned things and I didn't think... I was learning them. Right. Okay. Uh, I can't. I can't remember not being able to read. I think I could read when I went to school. So that would be down to your mum. No, no, no. It's down to the people who lived near us. We lived at that time. We lived in a row of terrace houses by. A, I can't say it. Norfolk. A brook. A brook. How would you say it? Brook. Brook. Yeah. River. Yeah. River called Bryce Brook. And there were lots of old people who lived in a row of houses, so I think they just thought they'd never had a young thing live there for ages, so they used to look after me. Right. I think they taught me to read. But I remember going to school, and the pictures on the wall were of Janet and John. You know, <laughs> come on, Janet, come on, Janet. <laughs> and all that stuff underneath. And the teacher was saying, so what does that say? And I could say what it said. And I just remember looking around and thinking, why don't they know? Why don't they know what it says? I know what it says. And I couldn't believe that other people didn't know. Right. So, I did. so there was a big support network. And do you, yeah, I mean, for was instance, there. was your father very involved in bringing you up oh, or Lord, was no. he distant? No. He, he was at work and then came home and had his slippers in front of the fire and that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And he was uh, the one who would tell me off if I'd been naughty. Like, my mum only had to say, oh, we'll tell you, Dad. <laughs> And yet, he wasn't fierce. OK, it you wait till your father comes just home. Just you wait. All right. And okay. I said, oh, don't, don't tell me Dad. Really. Don't tell me Dad. And bedroom was a punishment? Well, it was for tried... lots of children, which seems very strange. Why no, would you they, make bedroom they tried that one on, but I just used to go, yeah, and go upstairs <laughs> and read. <laughs> so actually, not going to the bedroom was more of a punishment. They didn't ever punish me. I didn't do anything wrong, really. Right, right. Oh, except put nail varnish removed on my mum's polished table. <gasps> That was awful, but that was when I was much older. French polish table, no doubt, as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Okay, are we still in the period when there would have been a parlour that they didn't use front at the ring. front? Front ring. Yeah, so only when the vicar came for tea or whatever. Otherwise, you Christmas. lived in the kitchen Christmas. at the back. Yeah. Christmas. Use okay. the front ring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they had a piano in it. Okay, is that significant? Yes. I still have. Um, a mentality about about best things and everyday things. Okay, all right. And you have that still in your house? Do you feel? You know, John. <laughs> you can't have anything. This is Beryl's husband. Okay. He's just got too much stuff. Okay. So no, the bit I do preserve, I preserve okay. one room in the house. Terrain. Terrain. Okay, yeah. your terrain and his yeah. terrain. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Secondary school, was there anybody, as you, as you went into that, was this 11 plus and 11 and plus, just the, the English teachers. Okay. Different one. And then three, when I did my A-levels, three different teachers. Okay. And uh, they were just Mr Rush. Mr Rush? Mr Rush. Okay, he was the... He taught me the World War One poetry, uh, Keats, um, The Tempest. And I got an A, so... And the World War One thing has been important to you because you've actually just done a trip out there to, to yeah. the graves, haven't you? So, uh, yeah. yeah, so a real sense of them kindling something yes. that, that sta has stayed with you Definitely. Yeah, forever Definitely. and left you infused with, with wanting more? Oh, yeah. Okay. I can't imagine a day when I won't want to read something. So you had that day when somebody or other who in the school asked you to go and see them and said, Beryl, what is it you're thinking of doing next? Yeah. Uh, expecting you to say that um, what? I want to be teach primary school children. Okay. And that, you knew that. From what stage did you know that? I know you said you said to your father. Seven or eight. Okay. <laughs> and what was it that made you feel that? 
Just but is it what me. people would call a vacation, do you think? Lost or? me. Okay. So what... what, what? Um, it's hard to put into words. Uh, don't lie. I thought it would be a nice job. Nice. <laughs> um, I won't say that I liked children, although I did like a lot of children. Um, I don't think it was anything noble, like I thought I could make a difference. That only came much, much later. Um, I just wanted to be enthusiastic, because I'm quite, as I say, high on enthusiasm and low on talent in so many, many areas of my life. But I am quite enthusiastic, and I thought I could be enthusiastic and make things interesting for children. Are you like lots of us? Do you did you spend a lot of your life expecting the fraud squad to turn up and say well, you can't you actually do that? Uh, n not at first, no. No, okay, no. that's good. No, not that I'm, I was super confident. No, I no. just never thought about it. Sure, sure. So you went on to college. Yes. And it was a local college. Is that Chester, right? which yeah. is about two hours away from home. Probably less now, the roads have improved. <laughs> um, yeah, I wanted to not go, like, a long, long way, but I didn't want to live at home. So I did want to go somewhere, and that seemed an excellent compromise. Yeah. I mean, my other choices were Leeds, York, Manchester. So it was all, you know, yeah. very up there. Yeah. Not down here at all. Challenging, but, but safe to a degree. Oh, safe very safe, because I wasn't brave enough to do anything too rash. Right. And this, this meant you could take washing home at weekends, or were you better than that? Um, I've always liked washing. Uh, okay. I think that's part of my northern upbringing. But Mum and Dad used to come over and see me every couple of weeks. and um, Bring you food? No, <laughs> no, no. Not food. No. Money. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well. Okay. And you had a sense then of what you... I know that you wanted to be a primary school teacher, yeah. but did you have a sense of what area you wanted to focus on? Um, no, not really. I mean, it would always be the main things I was interested in, which would be literature. Right. And strangely enough, maths, even though I was rubbish at it, actually... Learning how to teach it taught me how to do it. How to do it. So yeah. in many ways, I was a better maths teacher. Yes. Um, because I could struggle along with everybody else. Yeah. Well, they say teaching. I mean, I know there are rude things about teachers. You Those can't who can, really teach. You can teach, but actually, I think teaching is the best way to learn in lots yes, of ways. Yes, I isn't think it? it is. Trying to tell yeah. someone else how to do it. Yeah, um, I think it is. Very, very important. Um, did your aspirations change at all during this time? Did anything else you think? Do you know what? Maybe I wonder if it would be interesting to do that rather than this. Uh, not at that time, no. No. Oh, and that they okay. only ever changed... Um, well, no, they didn't change. The only other thing I ever fancied doing was <laughs> being a librarian. Um, a children's librarian, not any old librarian, in a children's library. Unfortunately, there was one in Chester. Um, or then, much, much later on, when I got to be a head teacher. I thought, oh, wouldn't it be good to be a social worker? Such busy body Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, being a head teacher is the best paid busy body job in the world, believe you me. But a social worker, that was before it all got a bit nasty. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But um, that was the only other thing. So I suppose I'm interested in people as well as books. Yeah. So you, I, I got a feeling maybe you'd have been glad you didn't go down that oh, social totally working route later glad. on. Oh, totally. I and mean, of course, it was, being it was... a social worker, you, I mean, a head teacher, you were a social worker. Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. so it all kind of dovetailed together. No, it was never anything. It was always, always teaching. Always. Okay. So tell us a bit about the teaching jobs, maybe the first one and teaching practice. Okay. Um, my first teaching job was in Runcorn which um, you might have heard of the famous Runcorn Bridge. You might not. Um, Runcorn was an old town, and um, it was one of the early new towns. So I got a job there so that I could stay near Chester, because by then I had met my first husband, who was a year below me at college. Um, although he was older than me because he was too busy playing rugby to do any work. <laughs> uh, so I got a job in Runcorn and 
So I was teaching Liverpool overspill children, which was hilarious because they were just so funny and so sharp, just like people from Liverpool are if you see them on the television. And a lot of them had really, really poor homes and they'd been shipped out of the more slummy areas of Liverpool to the new town at Runcorn. So my first two years of teaching were like, way, you know, children coming to school in the morning. This was in 19, 1973. Um, children coming to school in the morning without ha having had their breakfast or they used to come, we had a lovely cook, so the children used to come and like stand outside the kitchen. So um, she just feed them. Um, really quite challenging children, although I, I didn't realise it at the time because, you know, they were my first It's just first what class, you were. Just yeah. what they were. So it, it, it was great. Really enjoyed it. Did you have a sense then of how schooling education was changing from when you were in school yourself to... No. So it was, there was more a sense of continuity yeah. and constancy. So the experience maybe you'd had as a child fed into... Educationally, not, not home-wise, but um, educationally, it was quite, quite similar. Because okay. I was only 20 when I started. I, I was, my 21st birthday was the first week I was teaching, on the Friday of the first week. Because that, that's significant, because my birthday is the 7th of September. So that was my first day of being a head teacher at home. It was my birthday. Uh, I went to school on my birthday. Obviously, I just never got over it, did I? <laughs> um, and as I say, my 21st birthday was the first week that I was a qualified teacher. It's quite a birthday present, that, isn't it? It uh, certainly was. Year by year, so, yeah. 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 So tell us, um, coming to Norfolk, what, why did you come to Norfolk well, at that early stage? In Chester, there were lots of Lancastrians, and because it's on the border, there were lots of lovely Welsh people, which is where I got my love for rugby. And there was one from Norfolk. Now, which one did I start going out with? The one from Norfolk. So here I am. <laughs> David lived in Holt, so Holt was the first place I ever came to in Norfolk in August 1972. David's mum and dad lived in Grove Lane in the first bungalow. Um, they've been farming people. Um, David's dad's parents and grandparents had farmed all around Norfolk. David was actually born in Little Fransham, um, and they farmed in various farms, and then they sold up the farm, and they came to live in Holt. And David's dad were, got a job as the head gardener at Gresham's, and so he did Mr Bruce Lockhart's garden, where Mr Bruce Lockhart was the head. And David's mum was a nurse and she worked at Canning Hospital. And um, when I first came, I came on the bus. Can you imagine? <laughs> on the Great Yarmouth, no, the Blackpool to Great Yarmouth Express. Okay, well, that's a bit like the train. This still does the same route, isn't it? Yeah. Now, if you lived in Great Yarmouth, why would you want to go to Blackpool? And if you lived in Blackpool, why would you want to go to Great Yarmouth? And I still have not found the answer to that. It took 12 hours. I mean, I've been to Australia quicker than that. Um, I'd not, my mum and dad took me to the bus station at Preston. And I think they probably thought they'd never see me again. Wave me off. Oh, bye, our Beryl. As they always call me our Beryl, never just Beryl. Um, our Beryl's gone to Norfolk. Oh, our Beryl's done this. Still doing it. So our Beryl got on the bus. And we went all over the place. And finally I ended up in Little Fransham, where David was going to meet me. And then we came back to Holt. It was an absolute nightmare. Um, and then I continued, would you believe it, to traipse up and down, um, both of us really, until we got married in 1975. Um, and we lived, we bought a house in Horsford, but that wasn't ready, so we lived with Davies' mum and dad for about a couple of months. So when I, that was when I, the summertime was like when I spent in Norfolk. 
Um, and I used to wander around Holt because David got a summer job. He worked in the feathers um, as a waiter or what, what have you. He also worked, one year he worked at Kelly and Avery's. Um, Kelly Avery? The Avery's when it was a restaurant. All right. Okay. <laughs> I've been here a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never um, heard of that. So where was um, that? Kelling where Avery? it is now. Kelling, on Kelling Heath. Okay, all right. Where the garden centre is now. Right, okay. Uh, he worked up there, he worked in the Feathers and he worked in a, in a pub in Chrome. Oh, the Alex Club on Cabell Street. So he was at work during the day, so I used to wander around Holt. And there wasn't a lot to see then, let me tell you. The shop shut on Thursday afternoons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Bifus was in Ironmongers. You know, like the one in Ronnie Barker when he goes and buys four yeah. candles? Yeah. It was like that. There weren't any of these fancy mews and all these art galleries or anything like that. The Owl Cafe was there, and there was a toy shop next to it. And Mr Baker's was still Mr Baker's, but much smaller. smaller. Um, and Lana's was separate at that stage. Yes. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, and Betty's was down Betty's down the far end, end yes. Yeah. And I used to wander past this little school at the end of the run. That's a nice little school, isn't it? And I, I got a job. I was working at Cossie then. Um, so anyway, we, we lived in Horsford and I worked at Cossie. And did you feel that Holt was a... I mean, you know, you remembered all of that about it. Was it a... Did you feel this is a lovely place to no. be? I'd like to stay here. What did you feel? No. This is a bit alien. This is. Um, I thought it was awful. Horrible. Not Holt. Holt yeah. was all right. Yeah. I thought Norfolk was awful. Okay. Was Can you say why? Yeah, I didn't understand what anybody was saying. <laughs> I didn't understand anybody's sense of humour. <laughs> I thought the children at the school I was at, they'd no, they'd no sparkle at all. After these Liverpool ones. I used to make jokes, ha <laughs> and they just go. I just didn't get it, didn't get it. Mm. And, and the only people I knew were um, David's friends from Wyndham College who still live locally, so they were all blokes who played rugby. I mean, that, that had its charm, don't get me wrong, but um, it took me ages. I, re I remember um, going to a friend's... This friend of, of David's, his father ran the fish and chip shop in Baconsthorpe, the Stasis, and he was getting married to a, another, another, another a Norfolk girl, and we were going to the wedding, David was the best man, and they were all sat round talking about things, and they were all laughing at something, and I just thought, I haven't got a clue up why any of this is funny. I, ju I just didn't get it at all. It took me um, quite a while. And I never thought I'd, I'd stay. I didn't come to stay. I never thought I'd still be living here all this time later. Why didn't you run back home? I was married to somebody down here. <laughs> okay, I didn't run out on that marriage for another few years. <laughs> Give us a break. <laughs> oh, no, you've made your bed and you had to lie on it, are there all? <laughs> okay. Wouldn't okay. have dreamt of that. Right, okay. And I couldn't have persuaded David to move. Oh, no. He well, was quite right. As an awful person, you stay put, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, in what ways do you think it's changed here? What have you? What are you aware of as the changes? What, do you think you've just become numbed to the things that you <laughs> no. didn't like, or has yeah. it changed for yeah. the better? In no, it's definitely changed for the better. I don't. In many ways, it, it may have not changed. I have. Right. Nobody was ever horrible to me hmm. um, at all. I, I just. It, it, like a transplant. Alien. Yes. Um, you know, I've been transplanted into this place that was quite different from anything that, you know, I've known. I soon got on with it. I mean, you know, I learnt to drive. Well, I was learning to drive anyway, but I passed my test so I could drive around. I enjoyed... Because David played at Holt Rugby Club. So I enjoyed, you know, the rugby stuff. And when he was... After the rugby, when he was drinking... I used to go and tootle around the north Norfolk coast in the car, and that's, I think, I found my way around Norfolk like that. Right. And I always thought that was beautiful, and right. I still do. Which it is, yeah. It is. Yeah. I still I do. I haven't changed the gem of... Yeah. yeah. Um, and gradually, you know, you kind of settle in, and I made friends. I made friends. Let's Girls. Move. Sorry? 
girlfriends, not okay. boys. <laughs> <laughs> Let's concentrate on the teaching a little bit. Oh, all right. Cool. What, what are the challenges and pleasures of teaching? Now or then? Both. Both. Okay. Um, the pleasures far outweigh the challenges. The pleasures are enjoying good relationships with the children, uh, getting them interested in things, um, finding something that kind of matters to them and um, hopefully inspiring them to want to carry on learning or to give them confidence, get them to do things that they maybe couldn't have done before. And the challenges then? Well, the challenges then um... I know that people, I've heard people oh, say, if you had a parents' evening, parents would come along and you'd say, if they just worked a little harder, they'd be able to achieve so much. And the parents would say, yes, but are they happy? I, I just want them to be happy. Was it that? Uh, no, so, no, a lack, well, lack of aspiration, maybe? No, or? I don't have any problem with them being happy. I mean, mm. you can learn if you're miserable. Mm. Can't learn if you're miserable. Mm. I, think, I think what the parents mean by being happy is that nobody makes them do anything. Um, but you can be quite happy and you can be working hard. And mm. for some children, working hard and being challenged makes them happy mm -hmm. and that's not necessarily what the parents mean yeah. I think over time what's changed um, has been the, the um, relationship between parents and school I think parents used to be a lot more supportive of what happened in school and would support the teachers before they thought their children were right they just might think the teachers might be right but now I think the parents think the children are right all the time mm -hmm. and that undermines the teaching. Sure. And that's got something to do with a lack of respect, maybe, that there was in the old days? I think days. so. I think so. But, you know, you earn respect. Yeah. Um, you, you don't just get it. It's not a given. How do you see the demands of teaching having changed in the time that you were doing it? Um... I think inevitably, if you follow a career path and you, you get to what you consider to be the top of where you're going. I mean, I never wanted to be anything except the head teacher of a village school. I didn't want to be a fancy officer inspector or anything like that. Um, I just wanted to be the head teacher of a village school. And um, once you get to that level, if you're not careful, you're very far away from why you went into it. I mean, I was really lucky because I became the head at Dickleborough um, and I still had a class to teach. And probably some of my best teaching uh, I did there, even though I was the head teacher as well. So that was a good balance. When I got to Holt, um, I didn't have a class because it, it was bigger school. And yeah, I had to really think, well, how am I going to influence what goes on here? Because at Dickleborough we had four classes. So if I'd done anything that I thought was really, we all ought to be doing, I used to do it on a Friday morning. And then we used to have sharing assembly on Friday afternoon. So I'd get my class to stand up and say what they'd done in the morning. So everybody would think, oh, well, that's what she wants to do then. So you had an immediate impact because you'd got the children to be your ambassadors. But at Holt, I had to really think, how am I going to do this? Um, how am I really going to influence what goes on? Mm. And you have to think about a different way of doing it. Mm. Otherwise, you never do any teaching. OK. Now, you said you thought you did some of your best teaching there. Yeah. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah. Um, I base a lot of the teaching on literature. You won't be surprised here. Um, this was before guided reading, where, all the, where you have a group with all that became fashionable done that. Um, and I based lots of my work on different books and um, the best one was called Ned Kelly and the City of the Bees by Thomas Keneally and it's about a little girl who, who's ill and she has a dream that she's inside um, a beehive. So all the bees and everything are huge. So we did lots of stuff about insects, um, 
lots of stuff about finding yourself in a strange place. I could do punctuation from it. So it was all very integrated. And because I had the class, the same children for a couple of years, um, we worked out this scheme by I give them the work on the Monday morning and they could do it when they liked, as long as it was done by Friday. And I'd pull out groups during the day, you know, to, to work with. Um, and that was really interesting to see how some of them organised, how they organised it. Some of them did all the maths on a Monday, then didn't do any maths. Some of them did a bit a day. Um, some of them faffed about for two days until we used to have, like, Wednesday wake-up, and it would be, I haven't seen anything from you yet. And, um, but it was, it was great, and there was so much trust. It was fantastic. Sorry, I'm rambling. You're not at a rambling at all, no. Very interesting. Tell I'm an enthusiastic little teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so, tell us about the transition to Holt. Well, how did you end up in Holt at the school there? Oh, well, that's all John's fault. Now, John's the second and current husband. Um, well, that sounds ominous. <laughs> he always introduces me as the current Mrs Knowles, so I'm only getting my own back. I've been married for 34 years, so, you know, I think I've got my feet under that table. Um... How did I get to Holt? Well, John always wanted to live on the North Norfolk coast, and I always didn't, because we live in Helston, okay? Not very glamorous, but, you know. Um, and I always didn't. And I was working at Dickleborough, which is 20 miles down towards Dis. So there was this kind of... So I knew my time was coming to an end there. You just get the feeling, you know, it's time I shifted. And... Um, I knew, because the chair of current, the, the chair of governors then at Holt worked with John, because he was um, an education advisor, and so I knew that Mr Ford was thinking about retiring, and I said to John, oh no, <laughs> I'll have to apply for Holt, won't I, and then you can, you know, we'll be near the North Norfolk coast, um, and so I did. And then we bought, um, John had retired by then and got a nice lump sum from the Education Authority. They don't do that anymore. And so we bought a little cottage at Cly um, and had that as a second house. For, heard a sharp intake of breath then. <laughs> for about four years. Um, and I worked at home. And uh, I didn't know whether I wanted the job or not, I must be honest. Um, I thought I'd get it, arrogantly enough. Um, and when I left on the second day of interview, I said to John, I don't know whether I'm going to take it if they offer it me, and drove out at the end of the road, <laughs> blithely down the road. Anyway, they did offer it me, and I did take it. And why did you take it in the end? For the reasons you've already given, maybe? Uh, well, you know, I thought it'd be all right. I'd sort this. I could do it for a while. No, I could yeah. sort this. Right. Needed sorting. I can right. sort this. And what did you... Were you aware um, in, in coming for the interview and everything of what you were taking on? Um, and, the, and differences maybe from there, from here to where you were before? Um, well, it, where I was before at Dickerbrook was a little village mm. and there were 70 children when I went and 100 and something when I left. And there were about 230-ish at Holt. So it was a bigger, a bigger thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, the school, was, the school was in a mess. I mean, they just had, had an Ofsted. And, um, well, the equivalent then, presumably, was it? Yes. Yeah. And had there been a category called special measures, they would have been in it. They were in some difficulties. Right. Not noticeable for the children or necessarily for the parents, but, you know, th things could have been better, let's put it like that. So I knew it was a bit of a challenge, um, but I thought we could sort it out. And I think the fact that it was Holt just made me smile. Um, it was, you know, so ironic that this was the first place I ever visited and I used to look at that school and think, <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know, it was my responsibility. So that was uh, 1995. 
and did I mean to stay? <laughs> well, I don't know really. I think I did. I came to stay this time, sort it out. What was it like teaching in a relatively small community over a long period of time and maybe doing teaching several generations of the same family? And well, I always said that when, when, the, um, when the children signed up and the parents were children that I'd taught, I'd have to leave. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> it was, there were certain advantages to it because you cut out an awful lot of... Um, you needn't have explanations of various things. You know, if you got a certain family, you thought, oh, well, I know, I know what's going on here. I remember such and such. You know, it, it, it was quite shorthand. Um, I mean, I don't mean to, to make that sound like you, you make judgments the whole time because you can't help it. But, you know, there was a lot of shorthand that you could use. And with the parents, too, because it's fine, you don't need to tell me that, I know that, don't worry about it. You know, we're over that bit now. Um, and again, it, it was fascinating. <laughs> but Holt's not like people think. Explain. Holt's got, or had, a higher number of children from deprived homes than one would ever think. That there's a whole group of, of children and families in Holt who are kind of, or were when I first came, almost invisible to, to what people think of Holt. I mean, the number of people who, who said to me, well, where do you are I teaching? Oh, do you teach at Gresham's? No. I mean, I'm nothing against Gresham's at all, as Phil will testify. But one of the drums that I beat very loudly and must have driven everybody mad was the ch families in Holt are poor. You need to do something for them. It's not all bakers and liners. Sorry, Mr Baker. But it's not. And I think I've said that on and off mm -hmm. about at least 10 years. I think people listened in the end, and though it wasn't only me that was saying it, but it, it's, it's there. Are there any particular stories from your career that are shareable that you remember <laughs> as standing out, either for better or worse? Um, <laughs> Just looking around my audience here. Um, <laughs> no. I'm not prepared to do answer enough. that. Well, then let's alter it slightly. Is there anything you're particularly proud of achieving in that time? Um, or, or conversely, regret? Oh, no, regrets. Hundreds, hundreds. Now, when I think... And I'm, I'm not saying this for any other reason than it's true. When I think about the time that I was teaching in Hull, I find it hard to remember anything good that I did. I just remember the mistakes that I made. And I shouldn't have done that, or would have been better had I not done that, or... Honestly. Why? Why? Well, I think you always remember bad things, don't you? you yeah, don't I guess so. <laughs> but as you move away from something, it becomes more possible maybe to recognise the other. No, I don't. No. I don't. No. I tend not to do that. No. I, okay. I do know that for some children, um, I probably did make a difference to mm. their home life as well as their education, I think. Do you have particular concerns or worries about the future of education now you've stepped back from it? <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> um, yes. Shall we leave it there or would you I like to I shall just exit? say the word academy and you can draw your own conclusions from that. Okay. Okay. So it's partly to do with the governance of schools and, and, the, total and the autonomy, by the autonomy and... No, the total interference by the government. Right. It's because of the national curriculum and all that stuff that we've got, many of the problems that we've got. Right. Yes. Okay. Well, let's leave that there okay, for a then. minute. Okay. So, since retirement, um, <laughs> you, you, you got to that stage that lots of us get to where you suddenly think, do you know what? I don't need to do this anymore. Um, I don't need to see any more parents to sort out any more problems or...? Well, I thought about it for quite a long time, on and off, and the thought of leaving school used to make me go all, oh, God, no, I can't do that. Um, no, I'm not ready to do that. And then I thought about it another few months, I thought, oh, 
No, no. So I did think about it for about two years and knew <laughs> that it wasn't the right thing to do. Um, and gradually, I was thinking, actually, hmm, maybe it is the right thing to do. And I think the kind of head teacher that that was needed, I don't necessarily mean at Holt, I mean at anywhere, was somebody who was totally obsessed with data and test results. Um, and that was the most important thing. And who... This sounds like I'm slagging off Simon, and I'm not, because oh, I taught him everything he knows. Um, Simon's the current, current head, head teacher. Yeah. Um, I just thought the kind of head teacher that is needed now is not the kind of head teacher that I am, and it's not the kind of head teacher that I can be. So I've had a really good time at this. Let somebody else have a go. So that's why. Yeah, no, I understand. I think you and I maybe didn't get off to the best possible starts. Um, uh, we, we moved up here and we had our house we rented on the other side of the bypass and perhaps a bit like you, I passed the primary school thinking, oh, it'd be really nice to do some work there. And I came in at the end of one summer and you were, uh, being a very hands-on head, were in there in, your, in your, your grotty clothes cleaning somewhere or whatever, and I right. walked in and I thought maybe I was talking to the caretaker or something, you see. Said, I'd like to come and do... <laughs> Said, I'd like... I'm wondering whether you might like me to come in and do some work. Anyway, um, we did that and I've done work with you yeah. and, and for you at various stages then. And, and then since then, um, one of the things you've picked up on um, very kindly is Falcon. Um, which I've been involved in, and I wondered if you'd just like to talk a little bit about that. Why did you, if I just say Falcon stands for Facilitating Arts and Literature for Children of Norfolk, okay, so it's a very nice acronym, which we didn't invent. No, Actually, Nicholas, Nicholas Detiting came oh, yes, up, with, Nick, that, came up yeah. with that. He was on the committee at that time, one of the Detitings, and you were persuaded to come along by Marilyn Brocklehurst from the Children's Bookshop, Norfolk Children's Book, Norfolk Children's Book which we'll talk about in a minute, at um, Albi, okay. um, and came along, and I, I heard you say as you were going out, I think there's a job to do here, or something of that sort. So you kindly got involved. Why and Why? what do you think? Well, Falcon? I suppose it was a con continuation of, um, of being at school without the bother of a school, really. It was still uh, very much in the literature field, um, it was still quite hands-on with children. And I suppose thinking about it now, and I hope I can explain what I mean, I still felt very much that my community was Holt. Um, I mean, we still live in the same house that John and I have always lived in, so the 20 miles just changed direction. But I knew more people in Holt than I knew in Helsden. I mean, I always said I only lived in Helsden under the cover of darkness, which I did, because <laughs> I used to leave at quarter past seven in the morning and get home at whatever at night. Um, so I didn't know anybody who lived where we lived. I only knew people here. Um, so I suppose it was... I didn't consciously think this at the time, that it was keeping an involvement in Holt. Because I remember you saying to me, well, do you mind driving all this way? I've been driving all this way for the past 12 years. You know, the car knows the way through snow, fog and anything else. It's no problem. So I suppose it was part of keeping um, my sense of community with Holt and doing things I like doing. Which we've done Which very we've done. successfully over yeah. a number of years, haven't we, in a number yeah. of schools. Yeah. And your help's been invaluable in doing well, that, in making that connection. At the same time, Marilyn, I think probably, I didn't persuade you, I think she wouldn't have stopped you, would she, working at the bookshop? No, no um, if you haven't been to Norfolk Children's Book Centre, you really ought to go. Marilyn says it's the best bookshop in the universe, <laughs> and I would have to agree with her. Um... Not that she's biased or anything. Not so. in any way. <laughs> she's, been, she's been my friend since I first came to Norfolk. I bounced into Norfolk Children's Library and said, hello, um, 
I'm teaching year twos a topic about food and I want to know which book to read them. And this voice said, you want to read Search for Delicious by Natalie Babbitt. And that was Marilyn. Um, so I did. And we stayed friends. She stopped being a children's librarian when she had her children and started the book centre. And I still used to go in and we used to, you know, be friends. And she would, when I was at Holt, she'd say, you ought to come and work for me. And I used to say, you can't afford me. And then when I retired, she said, you ought to come and work for me and I can afford you now. So um, I lasted out six months before I caved in and went to the bookshop. I didn't need asking twice. I'd always fancied working there, but I never thought I would. And she admitted to me, because I was with her last week, putting a library in in Northampton, as you do. She said, I always wanted you to work for me. I was just biding my time. <laughs> and it's great, so I work a couple of days a week. So that's like the next bit of my life. So I'm a sort of librarian in a bookshop, children's books. So it's all... The, you know, the thread running through children and books. Yeah. And you do authors' events, don't we do you? Author and you events. Don't, you do. take the bookshop to other places and yeah. man the stall and. Uh, yeah. Um, and do really boring things like shelving. Sorry, librarian. <laughs> um, and we put libraries in schools because not many places have a decent library service now. So that's why learning to do reclassify when I was in the sixth form has become quite useful. If anybody doesn't know, that's the way that's books the way are ordered on the shelf. Yeah, it's a particular classification, isn't it? So, yeah, and it was actually from doing one of those events that you heard um, an event going on as part of the Fly Festival, which was a poetry yes. slam for secondary school children. Well, we used to do the book, the, take the books and sell them to the people who the children who went events. to the Fly Festival. And so we, through Falcon, put on a primary school poetry slam for the last two years, which has been a huge success, haven't we? Yes, so indeed. that was great. Well, one of the other things you're doing at the moment, which has come from being ahead, is you home tutor Kieran Williamson, don't you? Um, mm. Who was a pupil at the primary school mm. at that time. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about that? Because it touches on education, doesn't it? And, um, and the problem of being yes. talented and, well, a number of things, maybe. Yeah. Um, Kieran came to school when he was four. And he was only just four, because his birthday's on the 4th of August. So he was only just four. And shall we just say, does everybody know who Kieran Williamson is? I thought, thank, thank you, you yeah. Um And he stayed at our school until he was in year three or four, when Keith and Michelle, his mum and dad, lived in Holt. And then they moved to live in Ludham. And uh, so Kieran and Billy Joe moved schools. Um, I kept in touch with them on and off, because we, we got on very well. Um, during the time that Kieran was at school, we had the, um, the big Kieran Williamson explosion of uh, fame and alleged fortune. Um, and I felt very, very responsible for handling that well at school. Um, so my role in that was, in my words, was to keep Kieran rounded and grounded. So we didn't have any of that nonsense at school. We didn't have any filming or anything like that. We just had normal school. Um, I mean, I did feel quite responsible, uh, particularly when it was snowing. And um, I like snow. So I was always the first outside on the playground when it snowed, doing the snow angels in the floor, you know, all that. And because um, Kieran lived locally, he was at school, whereas a lot of the other children weren't. And uh, we were all making snowballs, and he said something about, oh, my hands are cold. <gasps> get your gloves on. I thought, I can't have this child get frostbite in his fingers. Not on my watch. It won't do. He's a world-famous artist. You know, what's going to happen? Get your gloves on, get your gloves on, get your hands warm. Um, so I did feel quite responsible. Um, and when, when it came for Kieran to go to, to high school, I met up with them uh, somewhere, in Cromer, in Jarrell's it was, and I said to Keith, have you decided which high school he's going to? Because they were living at Ludden then. So he could have gone to Stalham, he could have gone to Gresham's, who were like rubbing their hands with glee at the thought of getting in there, sorry. Um, he could have gone to Beeston. So they, Keith said, we don't want to send him anywhere, we want you to teach him. What? Um, 
oh, so I thought about this. He was in year five then. So I said, so that'll be the end of year six. And that coincided with me retiring. And I did think about it really, really hard. Because there were certain subjects that I'm not great at, but, you know, and get by. But I read a lot about what, you, what the rules and regulations are around homeschooling. And we talked and talked and talked about it. And I made sure that was actually what Kieran wanted and not just what his mum and dad wanted. Um, and the, the thought of being able to teach somebody what you both wanted to find out about and not all the other stuff that you don't have to know it was just too much for any teacher to resist. And that's why I did it. Not um, because Kieran was a famous artist, because we could just learn whatever we wanted to learn. And, and you, you go on trips away, don't you? So you've been down to shows in London and exhibitions. Oh, we exhibitions went to Chelsea and... for our show. Yeah? <laughs> um, and we've been, we've been to the theatre. I took Kieran to see his first Shakespeare play. Um, we've been to various galleries and stuff. Yeah. And he has a good collection of his own, I mean, not his own, but work he's bought, like Edward Sego paintings yeah. and so forth, doesn't he? Which yeah. he's been buying over the years. Yeah. Uh, so obviously a fulfilling part of oh, yeah, it's life been really, as well. Really so you haven't, like, like lots of us, you haven't retired at all, really, have you? You just shifted your, well, shifted your ground. I've got this theory about retirement. If you stay at home too long, you have to do housework. <laughs> so it behoves me well to get out. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's How acceptable. It's one of those things I don't like doing very much. And I, I've come to the conclusion, work's only work if you don't want to do it. Well, as long as whatever you're doing, most of the time, you're enjoying. You know, you can't, you can't enjoy everything all the time. There's, you know, sometimes it's a bit a stretch, but most of the time, you're doing what you want to do. Mm. Um, and there'll come a time when I can't go dashing about, I dare say, so I might as well dash about while I can. Well, speaking of which, you, you've taken up running, haven't you? Which has been a shock most, to your parents. Oh, it's mortally shocked my parents. Totally. And you've done a half marathon and a marathon? I've okay. never done a marathon. I'm no. never, ever going to do a marathon. OK. But you've done a half marathon locally, and you're a member of a running club. Um, I did a quick 5K before I came out today. OK. Right. OK. And a choir you're now a member of as well, oh, and running. Oh, that's the other thing, yeah. Yeah? For so somebody can who can't sing in tune... Um, John decided, because he's a parish councillor, he decided, wouldn't it be a good idea if we had a community choir? Would it? Yeah, OK, so we've got one. Um, so we've got about 40-odd people, wow. and we've been going for four years. And I think this is a significant bit, and it's only occurred to me relatively recently. I now feel... I've been retired since 2012... I now feel that my community is Helsden. And I think, in many ways, that's one of the reasons why I thought it was time that I talked to you about the future of Falcon. Yeah. Yes. And it isn't because I'll never come to Holt again, because Holt will always have, despite my first views of it, it will always be very special to me. Mm. And I can't conceive of a day when we won't, I won't come. But I know more people in Helston now, um, and that feels more like my community. And I didn't realise, <laughs> well, I suppose I should have done really, but this choir, it's, it's got youngish people in, but, but, you know, a lot of them are in their 60s and 70s. I mean, I'm 66, so... And the number of people who've said to me, um, you've no idea how important the choir is to know that on a Friday I am come out and there'll be lots of people and knowing that if I'm not there for two weeks, you'll be emailing me to find out where I am if you don't know. And it's a really important thing to a lot of people. So basically I'm still doing social work, aren't I? Um, but it's great. And I'm the conductor. So, you know, it's just like being at school. They all keep saying, well, how do you know how to do that? Well, I've been for years. <laughs> and if they talk, and they all go, hey, teach it up. <laughs> so it's, so I suppose I feel, 
you know, it's only taken me since, what, 1972 to feel quite settled in Norfolk. <laughs> well, interesting, we just started a community choir here. First yeah. night, not me, um, Mark Jones has at the church with Father Howard. Oh, we had over 100 people there last wow, week. Wow, that's brilliant. And it's moving tomorrow, this evening, in fact, at, at the parish hall. So, uh, yeah, and it was a great occasion. So yeah. you're quite right, singing together. Um, it's yeah. just so much good. And we've got, we go to the theatre. Um, <laughs> we've got a book swap table. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody brings their books in and swaps them all. Oh, have you read this? Have you read that? No escapes. So... There we go. We're kind of out of time, so I've got one last question for you, which is a kind of desert island question. Oh, great. Okay, so all of your memories are being swept away of everything, yeah. except for one. What might you single that out as being? A memory about a hold. Could be. Okay. Might be something more important. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's stick to hold. Memory. Maypole dancing. Outside bottom of this road. Church? By the church here? Yeah? Yeah. And what was that part of? The Great Fire. Okay. And you were leading the dancing? You'd <laughs> organised it? I, I taught the children how to do it. Right. Okay. And it was the most nervous three minutes of my entire <laughs> life because I taught them the simple stuff and then I taught them how to plait. And you don't know whether you've got it right until it starts unwinding, and then there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. So I just stood there. If anybody's got any photographs, they'd have seen me. But they did it. Okay. And from that, um, I met Phil and Jill. Because right. Phil said, you ought to teach the grown-ups to do this. I said, you find me the grown-ups, I'll teach them. <laughs> so we did. But, I mean, I love dancing. Yet another thing where I'm high on enthusiasm and low on talent. Um, and I learnt the maypole when I was back at Burscoe Methodist School, so I knew how to do it. And I did quite a lot of research um, on more traditional dances, not just, not just platting. So we did it, and they still did it. I even got somebody to buy us a maypole, so <laughs> who bought it. So yeah, that was great, it was a lovely day. Mm. Oh, and opening and doing the library at the school. Okay. That was 030303. And that was in relation to Marilyn? And, uh, uh, she, she came and helped us. But yeah. Leslie and I did it and we got Anne Fine to open the library. And it's still thriving today with, yeah, with, a, a, with a librarian. School, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably wants a bit of a renew. But right. Yeah. Not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Does anybody have a question for Beryl? Anyone? I hope we might have covered everything, but yeah, Holly. Holly. What I love about the way you talk is that your total love for reading from the <laughs> age of three and four is consistent through yes, is. everything, the whole of your life and everything. And I just wondered, is there any way you feel thing, sort of children's attitude to reading has changed? I know people say because of the Harry Potter books, a lot of boys are reading much more happily mm. than maybe they were inclined to do, um, but again with social media, being in the, the, the book centre, obviously children come there because they're already um, reading. positive towards Not them. all of them, yeah. some of their parents bring them and the parents say, this one, they never name their children, this one doesn't like reading, he can't find a book he likes. And now there's a challenge, and you normally say, well, we've only got 60,000 in stock. I'm sure we can find one somewhere. You don't say that. You say that in your head. You go, oh, I'm sure we'll try and find something. Um, I think the thing that's, that's uh, changed has been an absolute explosion of children's books, um, particularly teen books. Um, now, when I was 11 or 12... Um, I went on to Jean Plady and Victoria Holt, mm. Annie Seaton, historical fiction, because teen books about boyfriends and dieting and bullying and all those other issues didn't exist. Nobody wrote them. So you, you just went from children's books to adult books. Now, it's much more of a transition. We have what we call young puffins, so early readers, mainstream readers, team. So there's a great explosion. Um, I don't think Kindles have made any difference at all. 
I think there might have been a, a move to electronic books. I mean, I've got a Kindle um, at one time, but research shows that, that the sales of books have actually gone up, proper books. Um, I think Harry Potter, I think J.K. Rowling has done what Enid Blyton did in my day, actually. She got lots of people reading. I mean, the Harry Potter books are great stories, but they're far, far too long. That woman needs a decent editor. You can see it when she's <laughs> writing as Robert Galbraith. She's 100 pages too much in whatever she writes. But I dare say nobody's brave enough to say, oh, Joanne, cut it out. She needs a hatchet she woman. She needs a hatchet woman, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I, thought, um, I think there are some children who will always love reading, like me, and I think there are some who will go in and out of it. And I think it's it's when boys in particular get to be about 11 and 12 that they can duck out. But there's an awful lot of people writing for that audience. Mm -hmm. So I think now publishers target audiences and they target issues. I mean, we're inundated at the moment, and I'm not deriding this in any way, about books about refugees mm -hmm. being displaced from your country. We've got loads about... Uh, same-sex parents, um, mum and dad are divorced, uh, um, children with gender issues. So all of those areas are being targeted by publishers and books are being written. So there's almost, you know, there's a book about everything, if you can just find it. But nothing, you know, nothing's as good as reading for pleasure. Mm -hmm. I've always remembered the American poet Robert Frost saying he didn't start reading till the age of 14 and that's because his mother didn't read fast enough anymore. <laughs> um, and I think there's, yeah, so, uh, yeah, something to get early, isn't it? And the, Absolutely. The, it's the attraction of stories. The stories live yeah. on, don't they? And also, the, with young children, the feeling of closeness. Yeah. Um, you know, it's never too early to read to children, yeah. even if you think they don't know what you're reading. Sure. It's never too early. Well, thank you very, very That's much, Carol. Right. That's really, really kind of you. We'll show our appreciation of you.